giving up is the only sure way to fail. That's what Gina Showalter said. Chris Bradford said, there is no failure except in no longer trying. This is my favorite. Winston Churchill said, success is stumbling from failure to failure with no loss of enthusiasm. I love that. Today we're closing out this series, Triggers, How to Punch Temptation in the Face. And we've spent four weeks talking about fighting temptation from a lot of different angles. We've talked about being honest about where we are in our journey, about being honest with our struggles and our failures, not hiding ourselves. We've, we've talked about avoiding the wrong places at the wrong time. We said that, that almost always when you are in the wrong place at the wrong time, you make the wrong choice, right? And so, so we've talked about that. We've talked about um, uh, putting on the whole armor of God, about the importance of protecting our, our mind, how, how we think and our heart how we feel. And then last week, we talked about the power of relationships and how maybe the reason that your life is going in circles is because you're being dragged around by a strong influence in your life that's not headed in the direction that you want to go or that God wants you to go. And if you weren't able to listen or be here for last week's message, I want to encourage you to go to the website and listen to it because I really believe, I know that it will help you if relationships are a trigger, are a negative trigger in your life. It's a trigger for all of us, but if it's a negative trigger in your life, then I want you to really get that message because I feel like that, that will help you. And throughout this series, we've read 1 Corinthians 10, 13 each week to encourage us and remind us that no matter how strong the temptation, no matter how weak that we feel, we always have a choice. Everybody say, I have a choice. We always have a choice to resist temptation. We don't have to be what Proverbs describes as a fool repeating his foolishness. We've all been there. We've all done that. We all do that. We've all been a fool who repeats his foolishness. But we don't have to be that. But according to 1 Corinthians 10.13, we have a choice. And so I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 10.13 to you one more time for the fifth week here. And just encourage you to write this down. Put it somewhere your eyes can see it to help you when you're fighting temptation. But here's what it says. It says the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. We always have a choice to resist temptation. Now listen, we don't always make the right choice. We don't always make the right choice. And some choices are, are easier, easier than other choices. But if in that moment of temptation, in those moments of temptation, we can figure out a way to pause, fig figure out a way to, to pray, be on the lookout, we will be able to find a back door or a fire escape that, that God has provided for us to allow us a way out to get out of temptation without, without falling. And so today, for the last week of Triggers, I want to talk about the difference between falling and failing. The difference between falling and failing. There, there's an amazing speech in one of my favorite movies, Remember the Titans. We got any Remember the Titans fans out there? Okay, just me. That's all right. All right, so, um, so 
It's based on a true story about a team of high school football players who were forced to, to desegregate schools, and they're coached by one of the greatest actors of all time, Denzel Washington's character, who has been told that as soon as he loses a game, he's going to be fired. And so amazingly, the Titans are able to, to figure out a way to overcome adversity, and, and they win every game all the way up until the state championship. When they get to the state championship, they run into a team that's running a pretty advanced offense. They're not prepared. They're outmatched and outmanned. And they go into the locker room at halftime down seven to nothing. Nothing's going their way. And they don't know what they're going to do. And so Coach Boone, kind of resigning himself to a loss, begins to give a speech to the players that sounds like a speech that a coach gives when he thinks his team's going to lose. Hey, listen, win or lose, we're all winners here. If we keep our heads up high, nobody can, can blame us or fault us for that. And in the middle of this speech from Coach Boone, his star player, Julius Campbell, speaks up and interrupts him. With all due respect, Coach, you demanded more from us. You demanded perfection, Julius says. Now, I'm not saying I'm perfect because I'm not and I ain't never going to be. None of us are, but we have won every single game we have played until now. So this team is perfect. We stepped out on the field that way tonight. And if it's all the same to you, Coach Boone, that's how we want to leave it. Yeah, I watched it again last night just to make sure that I got that quote. And I got choked up again last night. Them daggum Disney movies get me every time. I'm holding it back. It gave me chills. And uh, here's what Julius was saying, okay? Julius is preaching to us this morning a little bit. Here's what Julius was saying. There are two kinds of perfection. There's the kind of perfection that never makes a mistake. Some people in this room, you think that's what you are. You're not because no one is. There's no way to, to do that. It's really hard to be friends or have a relationship with somebody who thinks they're that kind of perfect. You don't have to say amen or, or elbow anybody, but you know I'm telling the truth. Hopefully you're not sitting beside them. That's not possible. But there is another kind of perfection that is based only on the end result. A perfect team makes mistakes. But in the end, their result is, is perfect. What does that mean for us? Well, well in other words, you don't, have, you don't have a perfect marriage and you're not a perfect spouse. But if you don't quit, when it's all said and done, your record in marriage will be 1-0. and o. Does that make sense to everybody? So you're going to make mistakes. You're going to do it wrong. But if you don't quit, you're going to have a 1-0 and o record. Now, some of you guys, you, that didn't work for you. And so you're working on trying to, 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 to correct that or to, or to fix that in another relationship. Listen, you're not a perfect parent. You're going to make mistakes, but if you won't quit, if you'll keep showing up, if you'll keep loving and raising your kids the way God is teaching you, we believe that when it's all said and done, your record's going to be 1-0 and or 2-0 and or 3-0 and or how many ever kids you have. It's not about each individual choice. You're never going to be perfect in that way. But if you don't quit, you can be perfect in, in the result. And the same is true for your relationship with God. You're not going to be perfect. We've done a disservice to you, pastors, preachers, leaders, to somehow make it think that you could fall in love with God enough that you would never make the wrong choice, never sin, never make a mistake. That is not true. Matter of fact, the Bible teaches us that we will 
on a regular basis make wrong choices. But if we don't quit, when we stand before God, Jesus, what Jesus did on the cross, gives us a perfect result. Hebrews 10, 14 says, for by one sacrifice, that's Jesus on the cross, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. In other words, you're a mess and I'm a mess. But because of Jesus, as long as we don't quit on Jesus, no matter how many times we fall, as long as we don't quit on Jesus, he is making us perfect. So we stand before God and God says, you're perfect. He's like, how can I be perfect? Because of Jesus on the cross. Now, a powerful trigger that the devil uses to try to get our lives off track, uh, one of really Satan's most powerful weapons is condemnation. We've all felt condemnation, felt the power of the condemnation of Satan. And it sounds different ways for each of us, but the gist is the same. After we've sinned or, or after we have, have failed, maybe for the first time or, or maybe for the hundredth time or the thousandth time, we hear the voice of the enemy in our lives saying things like, you are such an idiot. You, you are such an idiot. Maybe, maybe it sounds like this in your head. You are such a fake. You're such a phony. If your church friends really knew the kind of stuff you did, man, you're so fake. Maybe this sounds familiar. You'll never be able to stop doing this. You'll never be free from this. You'll never be able to kick this habit. You're never going to be able to, to be free. Sometimes the voice in our head, the condemnation sounds like this. God is so disappointed in you. God is so disappointed in you. Or maybe, maybe it's this, God could never love somebody like you. I mean, God did love you, God did save you, but I mean, you screwed it up so much, God could never love somebody like you. The devil loves to make us feel condemned because if he can get us feeling bad enough about ourselves and our actions, we'll just give up trying and, and, and we'll... You know, we'll be like a, a guy who just gives in to the current of the ocean. Like, like a person who has stopped trying to not drown, right? There's a famous saying in, in Alcoholics Anonymous about feeling sorry for yourself. It says, pour me, pour me, pour me another drink, right? It's the power of condemnation, and Satan would love nothing more than to get you believing that you are a failure, that you are nothing, that you're a fake, that you'll never change. But everybody, please listen to what I'm about to say, okay? This is very important. It's not true. It's not true. You are not a failure. You are not the worst thing that you've ever done. And the way that you can know that I'm telling you the truth is because all the devil knows how to do is lie. That's it. That's all he knows how to do. He doesn't have the ability to tell the truth. John 8, says, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language for he is a liar and the father of lies. You gotta know that. If you didn't know that, you gotta know this morning that all Satan, all the devil knows how to do is lie. He cannot tell the truth. He can't tell the truth. So whenever you hear the voice of the devil in your ear condemning you, be encouraged. Because that lets you know that the opposite is true, right? So when you start hearing the voice that says God doesn't love you, just smile real big and man, God is crazy about me. When you hear the voice that says if your friends really knew who you really were, 
just remind yourself, well, I, I guess if the devil, all the devil can do is lie, then that must mean that my friends would actually love, support, and encourage me through my struggles. Whatever you hear Satan saying in your head, just smile real big because the opposite is true. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Anytime you hear the devil in your ear, just go ahead and tell yourself the opposite. The devil wants you to believe that after you sin or mess up or maybe what feels like the, the thousandth time that you're a failure, but of course, that's not true. The difference, there is a difference between falling and failing. Now, I want us to read today from Luke chapter 22. We're gonna read verses 31 and 32. And this is, this is during the Last Supper after Jesus has eaten a meal with his disciples and is about to be arrested and killed. He's taking a moment to say, a few specific things to a few specific disciples. And he says something really powerful to, to Peter. Now Jesus knows, the disciples don't know, but Jesus knows the chaos that's about to ensue. And he knows that his disciples are going to be afraid and confused when he looks at Peter in Luke 22, verses 31 and 32. And he says this, he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Now, I love these verses of Scripture for a few reasons. And this is not the most important reason, but I love the fact that Satan has to ask permission to mess with me. I love that. You ever thought about that? Satan has to ask permission to mess with me. It's very similar to the story of Job, if you've ever read the story of Job. Uh, but even in, in a few other places in Scripture, it seems to indicate that Satan doesn't even have the ability to mess with you unless God says it's okay. Just wrap your mind around that for a second. This powerful devil, Satan, that we've been talking about in this series, that's not really that powerful. He's more like the guy in the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain, the little short and, you know, afraid man he can't even mess with you without God allowing him to it's pretty incredible but I think what I love most about these verses is the idea that Jesus is praying for me that Jesus is praying for me now technically in this story he was literally praying for Peter but first John says that Jesus is our advocate and I love the idea that Jesus knows where I am. He, he knows what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking. He knows what I'm about to face. And, and, and he knows that the devil's desire is to destroy me, but he's praying for me. He's praying for me. Now, I want you to know that as your pastor, I pray for you regularly. And that, that's cool that I pray for you. But we're talking about Jesus praying for you here. And that, that, now, that's pretty incredible. This is so encouraging. And the next time you're in your life when it feels like temptation is so overwhelming and there doesn't seem to be any way to not give in, just remember that Jesus is praying for you. He's praying for you. And when we read Jesus' words to Peter, he seems to be saying that, that there is a difference between falling and failing. His words indicate there's a difference between falling and, and failing. If you don't know the story, you don't know what happens next, Peter will go on to deny Christ three times. It was the ultimate act of, of betrayal. And it would be easy to think because Peter denied Christ three times that he, had, that he had failed. 
But according to what we just read, Jesus said that he prayed for Peter that his faith would not fail. So that seems like a contradiction that, that like, how could Peter deny Christ and Jesus not consider that failure? Well, Jesus doesn't explain what he means, but if we piece together some other verses and some other stories, we can find and we can see the difference between falling and failing is whether or not we quit. The difference between falling and failing in your relationship with God is whether or not you quit. In, in other words, it's not failure if you decide to repent and try again. Look at what Jesus said at the end of verse 32. But when you have repented and turn to me again. The difference between falling and failure is whether or not you quit your faith. Do you give up or do you get up? Do, do you give up because you've fallen again or do, you, or do you get up? Proverbs 24, 16 says, The godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. The, listen, the godly trip seven times. The godly trip and fall seven times. The devil wants you to believe that you're a failure. It's not true. It's not true. You are a righteous child of God that has fallen. And don't let him keep you down. Get back up. Get back in the game. Finish, finish your race. We, we pray a prayer each week. When someone accepts Christ that I, that I love, and, and in that prayer, we'll pray it again today, we, we say these words every time. When I fall, help me to get back up and to run to you and not away from you. When I fall, because guess what? We're going to fall. We're going to fall. You're going to lose your temper tomorrow. You're going to curse at somebody you care about. You're going to drink again tomorrow, even though you swore you were going to be free from it. You're going to, you're going to fall back into some of those substances. You're going, to, you're going to say things you didn't want to say. You're going to think things you didn't want to think. You're going to do things you didn't want to do. You will fall. But every week we pray this prayer. When I fall, not if I fall, when I fall, help me to get back up and to run to you not away from you. The devil wants you to quit. He wants your faith to fail. If he can get you to quit, if, if he can get you to stop caring, if he can get you to, to feel that, that God couldn't love you anymore, then he knows he can make your life spin out of control. But don't ever forget that Jesus has prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And when you have repented and turned to him again, strengthen your brothers. Listen, don't quit. We, we've spent five weeks talking about temptation and fighting temptation. And the best advice I could give you is to get up again. Don't quit. Don't give in to the current that's trying to take you downstream. Don't quit.
get up, repent, and say to God, God, let's do it again. Let's try again. You're not a failure. You're not the worst thing you've ever done. Jesus has prayed for you that your faith would not fail. Let's pray.